From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth Podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. We can't wait to uh, do our podcast today because we're going to do two separate segments, very, very different segments. The second, talking about news, headlines, church, worldview, and the first, talking about persecution and the gospel and evangelism and counting the cost. So let's bring in our guest, Todd Nettleton, the Director of Media and Public Relations at Voice of the Martyrs USA, host of VOM Radio. Uh, he serves as a voice for persecuted Christians, and his latest book, we've had him on uh, previously to talk about a great book called When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. Todd, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. Well, thank you, brother. Uh, before we get into the content today, and as we kind of go around the world in less 30 minutes or less with you, um, you've got a brand new book, not you personally, but Voice of the Martyrs. There's one called At Any Cost. It looks really sharp. It's on your homepage. Tell us about it, please. Yeah, this is a book, if if people kind of can picture a coffee table book, that's kind of what we called it internally as we were working on it. But it's it's really heavy on photography from the countries where Voice of the Martyrs works, the countries where our brothers and sisters are persecuted, along with some stories of people who have been persecuted in those places. So uh, it is a beautiful book. It is incredibly well done, well designed. Uh, you know, these photographs are amazing, uh, and but it also... Also is a book designed to help you get a sense of place of hey this is where my brothers and sisters are this is where they're being persecuted uh, all with the eye towards helping you feel that spiritual connection that that these are members of our family we want to stand with them we want to pray for them uh, this book is designed like I say to give you a sense of, of what their environment is like mm-hmm. wow. excellent so that's again at the website homepage persecution.com Okay, Todd, June 29th is coming up uh, quickly. It's uh, less than a week away, and that is the Day of the Christian Martyr. I would estimate that a majority of people have not heard about that. Tell us about that and what happens. Well, Day of the Christian Martyr is is a day to look backwards. Uh, you know, every year in the fall, we have the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians, really praying for Christians who are currently being persecuted, this is a little different. Day of the Christian Martyr is looking back at those who gave their lives for the cause of Christ. And uh, June 29th is significant. According to church historians, that's the day the Apostle Paul was executed outside the city of Rome. So that's hmm. the significance of June 29th. And uh, every year here at Voice of the Martyrs, we uh, tell the story of someone who gave their lives for the cause of Christ. So we produce some resources. There's a short video, perfect to show in a church service or in a Bible study group. There's actually a sermon outline. If, if you're a pastor and you want to make this uh, your sermon for that week, now there are church bulletin inserts, other ways of telling this story. But the focus this year is on a man named Abdiweli Ahmed, and he was an ethnic Somali uh, living in northern Kenya, was actually gunned down on the streets of northern Kenya 10 years ago this year. Wow. And he had been walking with Christ out of 
you know, born into a Muslim Somali family. Most Somalis are Muslim. He was born into a Muslim family. When he went to school, he was actually elected uh, the the leader of the Islamic society at his school. So he was considered by his fellow students to be the best Muslim among them. Uh, but he began to have questions, and he, he couldn't find answers to his huh. questions in the Quran, mm-hmm. and he couldn't find answers when he talked to his imam, uh, and ultimately he was given a Bible, and he began to study the life of Christ, and he found the answers that he was looking for and became a, a Christian believer committed his life to Christ, began telling his friends. His friends actually came, at one point, came to his mother's house to beat him up. Uh, Thankfully, he got away, but he was repeatedly threatened. Him, he got married to a lady named Helen. They went as missionaries to Niger. So they spent several years in the country of Niger, clear across the continent of Africa, reaching out to Muslims there. Uh, but Abdiwali's heart was for his own people, for the Somali people. And so they moved back to northern Kenya. Uh, he knew it was dangerous. He knew there were threats against them. Uh, and yet he continued to work among the Somali people uh, until the day in 2013 when he was shot and killed uh, in northern Kenya for his ministry. His wife, Helen, uh, is still working among Somali people and is, in fact, still spends part of her time in northern Kenya continuing the work that he began, that they began together there uh, more than 10 years ago. Wow, and that that reminds us also, um, among other things, is to pray for the people of Somali. Mm. Uh, website again, persecution.com slash martyr. I had a chance, uh, Todd, to catch up on the podcast. I love the podcast. And the one I heard yesterday was Saul and Ezra Pett. And it was, it really struck a chord with me because they were from Wisconsin. Their parents had a hundred year old farm in Wisconsin. Who knows? Maybe I've driven past it. I don't know. But <laughs> something about that just really strikes a note uh, when they're from your area. And, and you talk about here how honest they were. And they absolutely were. I was just so blown away because sometimes we think of martyrs as those who, I don't know, they're different than the average person. There's yeah. something different about them. But, you know, they, they, their days are made up of 24 hours just like everybody else. Uh, the difference is they've left themselves behind and their own lives, and they've decided to follow Jesus. Could you tell us a little more about Saul and Ezra and what uh, their parents were murdered in Uganda? They were grown already, right? They were already adults out of the house at the time? Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What happened so with them? Yeah. Their parents' story is really cool because they, like you say, they were farmers. They lived on the family farm and kind of in the second half of their life, Mm -hmm. after they had raised their kids, God called them to go to Africa. And so they sold the family farm. They packed up and moved to Africa, leaving their children. I believe they had one grandchild at that time, leaving the grandchild, moving to Africa. And uh, after just a couple of years in Africa, they were killed in an attack uh, on a mission station in northern Uganda. And as you mentioned, and and I would encourage people, go find the VOM Radio podcast, listen to this conversation. Saul and Ezra were both very honest that, that they were mad at God. Uh, you know, God, my parents went to Africa to serve you. How could you let them get killed? Uh, I believe it was Saul that says, you know, when I heard, I basically went outside and told God, listen, I don't want to hear from you anymore until you can explain how you let my parents be killed. Wow. Um, so there was a lot of anger and and bitterness towards God and, and really wrestling in their own faith. Like, if God loves us, how how could he let this happen? What what? But they have come through that. Uh, to the point of, of faith, and, and one of the things that God used to help bring them through was going back to Uganda and serving the people. They're actually digging water wells in Uganda in 
even in the same place where their parents were killed, uh, serving the people there. And one of the things that helped them heal is even though their parents were only there a couple years, they are still remembered fondly. Their mm-hmm. ministry, their mm-hmm. presence there is still remembered, and it impacted the people around them. And so they saw that, uh, you know, our, our parents had an impact, even in the short time they were here. Um, and, and God just really used that to, to bring complete healing after almost 20 years. I, I mean, this is, not a, this is not a short process, mm-hmm. uh, but after almost 20 years, they have completely come around and say, hey, and, you know, they know we're, we're not going to know the full extent of, of God's plan until we get to heaven. Yeah. Uh, but we trust that he has a plan and that he is using this. And um, so it really is a, an amazing story. And, and I so appreciate their honesty to be willing mm-hmm. to say, yeah, yep. I was mad at God. I, I, didn't, I didn't think yeah. this was a good idea at all. <laughs> um, and I thought that was really cool to hear how they came through to the point of saying, okay, God, uh, I I don't like your plan in this situation. I am not real happy about this, but I trust you. When you can hear it in their voices too. I was yeah. I was listening, sort of thinking, well, how how are they gonna, you know, how are their hearts gonna be softened? And you can hear it in their voices. It's just a miracle of the Lord how mm-hmm. He worked in their lives. And I was thoroughly blessed, Todd. I wanted you to know that. I'm so thankful, and, and like I say, I would encourage those who are listening, go go listen, especially you guys in Wisconsin, because they're your neighbors. That's right. <laughs> That's vomradio.net. Mm-hmm. By the way, Todd, uh, who's coming up this weekend on the show? Uh, we are going to have Aaron Miller. He is the new Vice President for International Ministry here at Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, he's been working at VOM for several years, but recently kind of was promoted into that position. So uh, he's going to share, and it's interesting, we, we just talked about Uganda and the Pet family. Uh, he, Aaron, just took his first trip to Africa. So he's been heavily involved in our work in South Asia. He's been heavily involved in our work in the Middle East, but he hadn't really been to Africa. And so uh, we talk about what he found in Africa, and he went to some... Uh, really dangerous and difficult places where uh, Christians are facing daily the attack and persecution and even death. Um, and so I, it's, it was an eye-opening trip for him, and I hope as he shares, our listeners will have their eyes opened as well, because Africa is kind of an underreported yes. uh, situation for us here in the United States. Yes, and the, the Christian per- persecution is a very uh, it, it's increasing. It's it's heavily uh, been a problem there, and um, we hope our government will recognize that as an area that needs to be recognized. Um, let's go to Malaysia, Todd. Several years ago, um, we had you on, and we for a couple different podcasts, we talked about the story of Pastor Raymond Ko, who was abducted. He was kidnapped off the streets in Malaysia. That was in 2017, and um, you've got an update on the court case and Susanna Ko, the wife of Pastor uh, Raymond. Tell us about that. Well, as you mentioned, Pastor Raymond Ko abducted in 2017. Uh, the abduction involved at least five vehicles and 13 individuals and took less than 40 seconds. So uh, it was a highly skilled, uh, highly choreographed Jeez. operation. And uh, since 2017, Pastor Raymond has never been heard from. Oh. His car has never been found. Uh, it is literally like he fell off the face of the earth. And wasn't that and, on video as well? It was captured on a security camera video, kind of <laughs> accidentally, I think. It, <laughs> yes. it wasn't the police who found that video. It was yeah. actually Susanna and her family oh. who started knocking on doors along the route they knew he had driven. And, and wow. they are the ones who unearthed that video. Uh, and actually, 
At one point, it was posted online by some Malaysian media. I think the government told them to take it down. They have taken it down. The wow. only place you can see that video now is on Voice of the Martyrs. We have it posted oh, yeah. uh, on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. Um, so you can see that. But the update on the case is, so right now, Susanna is actually suing the Malaysian government and 13 individual officials, uh, several police officials, several other officials in the government, and the goal of this lawsuit is simply to get the government to explain what happened. Um, and so her goal is, is not necessarily to make a lot of money. Her goal is to say, hey, where's my husband? You, yeah. you know, yeah. the police took him. Where Jeez. is he? What happened to him? Uh, to try to get information, to try to have someone held accountable. And so far, they've had three days of court hearings. They, it's, it's not like a trial. It's not like I think of a trial where you just kind of start and then you go till you're done. It's like a day here and a day there, and they've actually got days scheduled out into June of 2024. Um, so it's going to be a slow process, but her hope is to get to the truth, mm -hmm. to know what happened to Pastor Raymond. And her lawyer, when, when she went to a lawyer and said, hey, I want to sue the government, um, she told me, she said her lawyer was like, are, are you sure? Like, like this is the government that made your husband disappear. Now you want to sue them? You want to poke the bear and, and put yourself in danger? Are you sure you want to do that? Uh, and she said, I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. And so I would encourage our listeners, pray, pray for this process. There, there's a lot of obstacles to getting the truth in this situation. The Malaysian government, the Malaysian police certainly don't want uh, to be, to acknowledge the fact that that they were involved in this man's abduction. Mm. Um, and so it is going to be an uphill climb to get to the truth. So uh, we pray that the Lord opens the doors. And um, so far, it's interesting, the, the very first witness, the first day of the hearing, was actually someone who drove up behind as the abduction was happening. So he saw the entire thing. He saw wow. Pastor Raymond get dragged out of his car, get put in a black SUV, and actually went to the police station that afternoon and said, hey, I saw someone get kidnapped yeah. today. You need I, I want to report a kidnapping. I saw it. And the person he talked to at the police station said, huh, that sounds like a police operation, which is very interesting. You know, he <laughs> said, hey, it happened in broad daylight. Um, he said, huh, that, that sounds like the police. And, and actually, apparently, according to this witness, he called someone else in the police department and was like, hey, did, did we have an operation going on today? And, and so... <laughs> the the interesting thing is that the police knew about it first the first day within a within an hour or so. Mm. Then later that evening, Susanna Coe went to the police station and said, "Hey, you know, my husband had a meeting this morning. He never made it to the meeting. He didn't show up. He hasn't come home. I want to report a missing person." So they already had a report of a kidnapping that day from a, an eyewitness. Huh. But they didn't say that to Susanna. Instead, they started interrogating her about her ministry. Oh my well, God. have you and your husband been talking to Muslims? Have you been evangelizing? Yep. What, 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 tell me about your ministry. And after about four hours of that, Susanna just got up and left and said, Hey, if you guys are not going to help find my husband, I'm going to have to find him myself. So I'm going to leave. Mm. And that was really the start of, of this whole process. Mm. And the frustrating thing to me is the whole time they already had an eyewitness report of a kidnapping. They just simply Amazing. refused to acknowledge it. Yeah.
Well, good for her for pursuing that, yes. and we need to pray for her that uh, the Lord would be strong on her behalf. And speaking of Susanna Coe, there is a, you have an event coming up, Hearts of Fire virtual event, July 14th. She's going to be one of the speakers, one of four women awesome. uh, who have stories of persecution and God's faithfulness in the midst of it. Can you tell us more about that? How can people register? Churches can sponsor, correct? How, tell us about uh, Hearts of Fire on July 14th. Yeah, we have mentioned persecution.com. So it is right at the top of the page at persecution.com. There's a link to go and register to for the Hearts of Fire virtual event. Uh, this is going to be a Friday evening in July. So July 14th is a Friday evening. It'll start at 7 p.m. Eastern time. But if, if you're in central time and you want to time shift it, uh, you'll be able to start the stream an hour later. Uh, but as you say, we're going to have four ladies who have experienced persecution firsthand. Susanna Coe is one of them. Uh, also speaking, Gracia Burnham, who was kidnapped in the Philippines. Helen Berhane, who was imprisoned in Eritrea, including uh, being held for many months in a shipping container, in a metal shipping container in Eritrea. And then Anita Smith. Anita and her husband Ronnie went to Benghazi, Libya, uh, just four months after the U.S. consulate was attacked there and four Americans were killed. Uh, they moved there. Ronnie took a teaching job. Uh, they went to represent Jesus Christ, and subsequently Ronnie was shot and killed. And so uh, Anita will share about that day, about finding out that her husband had been killed, uh, and about forgiving. Uh, one of the amazing things about Anita's story is uh, just a, a, a couple weeks after Ronnie was shot and killed in Libya, uh, Anita was on CNN with Anderson Cooper saying how she forgave the people who killed Ronnie. She still loved the Libyan people. She still had hope for the best for them. And uh, it's fun. You can actually go on YouTube and watch the video. Anderson Cooper did not know what to do with Anita Smith and, and forgiving. He was wow. like... Uh, you could see him like struggling to ask the next question because he just was like, "Wait a minute, you you forgive them? You love Libya? What what is going on here?" That's amazing for us because yes. we speak English, but Anita did that as well on Al Jazeera in Arabic across the whole Middle East. I forgive wow. the men who killed my husband. Wow. Jesus has forgiven me. I can forgive you. I love Libya. I love the Libyan people. Uh, in Arabic, the language of the men who killed her husband. And so that's one of the stories we'll hear at the Hearts of Fire virtual event. Also, we'll have worship music led by Michael W. Smith, which is great. Um, so it's it's going to be a really powerful event. Uh, and like you say, churches can host this. And I would encourage you, uh, get together with a group. Maybe it's your whole congregation. Maybe it's your small group, your Bible study group. Uh, get together with other believers and watch this, because these ladies have an incredibly inspiring wow. uh, testimony to share with us. And uh, it, it really is amazing how God empowers forgiveness how he empowers through difficult situations. Um, so it's going to be a, a powerful event. It's yeah. free. Uh, and again, persecution.com, or you can go directly hearts event, hearts with an S, event.com uh, to go directly and get your free registration. And that's Friday, July 14 at 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. Eastern time. That's going to be an online event. Wow. Uh, that sound, just sounds amazing. God gets the glory. Every one of these people that has a story like this, um, I, I think about that song at Matthew West, uh, Our Pain, His Purpose. Um, but, Todd, let's go over to China now and talk about a very interesting story about how they're using technology 
to kind of uh, regulate religious activities and, and per, maybe intimidate people from participating. It's been rolled out in one province. There's an app that they're testing. Uh, is this? What do you know about this? And is is this going to go nationwide? What are your thoughts? Well, uh, let's go back a couple years to start out. So during the COVID lockdowns in China, we all know, you know, China was completely locked down during COVID. They had the the so-called zero COVID policy. Uh, everybody was required to put a health app on their phone, and uh, many of the places you would go in public, like uh, public transport certain buildings, in order to go in, you had to show on the app that that you had the shot or that you'd had COVID and you had recovered, or you had to show a, a the app before you were allowed into the building or onto the train or whatever. Okay, so now we're, we're two, three years down the road. Henan province, one of the provinces in China, has rolled out a similar app system, but it not not has nothing to do with COVID. It has to do with going to a religious gathering. <laughs> and the course. app requires you to register ahead of time, give them all of your information. Here's my ID. Here's where I live. I want to go to a religious service. And it makes it easy. If, if the police come in, to the service, they just tell everyone, hey, hold up your phone, show us that you're registered. Okay, good, you're registered. Okay, that's all great. Oh, wait a minute. You're not registered. Come with me. Um, so it, it makes it very easy for the police. It makes it very easy for the government. They can identify the people who want religious activities and, and target them. Um, and one of the things I would point out now, this is only for a registered church setting. Mm -hmm. For a house church, for an unregistered church, everything they do is illegal. Um, so, the, the, you know, you can't get permission in the app to go to an illegal service. Um, so this doesn't affect the house churches. It only affects the registered church. It also, remember, in a registered church, no one under 18 is allowed to be there because they want, you know, 18 years for the Communist Party to indoctrinate people before you hear anything about religion. So wow. this doesn't affect young people. They're not supposed to be there either. Um, but... Right now, this is one province. I would consider this a test case. Uh, but from the Communist Party perspective, hey, this is great. Uh, it makes it easy for us to control people going to church. Sure. It lets us know ahead of time those who are interested in religion. And uh, so I can't imagine that if this works like they want it to, uh, that they won't spread it to other provinces as well. Wow. Uh, Todd, what is an example of a registered church? Are we talking like a Protestant? Is that a communist church? Communist or? church or a, denom a, a denominational? What, what would that be? It is a, uh, it is a part of the, what the Chinese call the three self-patriotic movement. So it is the, the Protestant organization under the Communist Party, uh, controlled by the communist religious affairs officials. And, uh, to be a pastor in a registered church, you need to be trained at an, at the official uh, three self uh, seminary. You need to register ahead of time what you're going to preach about. So your sermons have to be somewhat regulated by the Communist Party. Yeah, and somewhat. all the people there need to be, I mean, you need to tell who's going to your service. So it is, it is very tightly controlled by the Communist Party. And a, a pastor who becomes uh, too biblical in that setting uh, will find himself sent out to a little tiny village somewhere uh, where he can't do a lot of damage. Uh, wow. So that that's that's what we mean by a registered church. That oh, might yeah. come to a country near us. Yeah, if you become I mean, too, I like the way you put that. If, if they become too biblical yeah. in the pulpit, so Todd, the underground church is is the same thing as unregistered. They are illegal 
and they they kind of can't get their hands on some of those underground churches, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, the underground church is unregistered, so every time they gather, it is illegal. Just, just by definition, you <laughs> gathering without Communist Party permission, that's an illegal gathering. Um, but... You know, they, they bring their kids to church, which you're not allowed to do at a registered church. Um, and so it's one of the things, one of the really interesting things. When I first started at, at VOM, and I just celebrated my 25th anniversary, so this is a long time ago, but wow. um, the the Communist Party line was to persecuted Christians, to house churches in China. If you guys would just register then we wouldn't have this problem. Like, you wouldn't be persecuted. If, if you would just register, it's very simple. You fill out the paperwork. You know, it's, a, it's really a simple thing. And if you would just register, you wouldn't have these problems. Well, what we see now is even registered churches are, are getting persecuted. Even registered church pastors are getting arrested. Um, and so the, the idea that registration is sort of the get-out-of-jail-free card for all churches in China is completely bogus and has been completely disproven the issue is control if you are willing to be controlled by the communist party then you won't have any trouble if you fight that control or if you say well you know what christ is the head of the church not the communist party you will have trouble and and that's true whether you're in a registered church setting or in a house church setting Um, if you refuse to bow to the communist party there is going to be repercussions for that So let's go to the Middle East. Um, I hear there's maybe some good news, and I think we could use a little bit of that. So what's happening over there, Todd? I love having good news. It's (laughs) it's not super often that that happens, but I love having good news. I I had a conversation with a man recently who has lived in the Middle East for decades, uh, and he talked about a particular country there. And unfortunately, uh, I don't have clearance to share the name of the country, but uh, he talked about positive changes that are happening in this country. So let me give you a couple of examples. One is uh, this country hosts an international book fair, and they are now allowing a Christian publisher to come and be a part of this book fair. So literally, they can put Christian books out on a table for people to walk by and pick up and look through, uh, which 10 years ago... That never would have happened. That, that, that would have like set off alarms if that happened. Mm. So that's a change. Second change, second example of the change that they've seen. Recently, uh, a person in this country, a, a Muslim, became a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, followed Christ's word to get baptized, and uh, posted on social media pictures of that baptism. So the religious officials come and question this person, and 10 years ago, this would have been, hey, you're an apostate, you left Islam, you're a Christian now, you're an apostate, you deserve to be killed. The conversation now was, why did you post those pictures on social media? You know, if if you want to follow Jesus, that's your business, just keep it quiet, you don't have to embarrass us by posting pictures on social media, why did you do that? So, again, 10 years ago, it would have been, hey, we're going to execute you unless you return to Islam immediately. Now it is, hey, why don't you keep it down and and don't post on social media and embarrass us? A radical change in that context and in that culture. And and so the gospel is advancing, and and it's great to see the government being a little more open to the idea that that there could be Christians in the country. Mm, That's really neat. Um, Finally, Todd, we've just got three minutes left. Um, can you just give us a quick uh, update on India? 
Yeah, we've had uh, this week, if, if you've been following the news, Prime Minister Modi from India has been in Washington, D.C. He addressed Congress. He had a state dinner with uh, lots of officials. He had a private dinner with uh, President Biden and the First Lady. Um, there, there's a lot of talk about how cooperation between our two countries is ongoing, and we certainly, you know, have all these things that we want to talk about and countering China and making lots of money. Uh, what I haven't seen brought up in these conversations is the fact that uh, Prime Minister Modi is part of the Hindu nationalist movement in India. His government is persecuting Christians. They are persecuting Muslims. There is a lot of uh, persecution against religious minorities in India, and hopefully, at least behind closed doors, that was brought up in some of these conversations in Washington, D.C., because India is a place that has gotten worse for Christians while Modi has been in power. Wow. Interesting. Interesting uh, as we go around the world and get these updates. We really appreciate you. And again, we want to remind people of the outstanding book, At Any Cost, that's available on your website. That's persecution.com. And also heartsevent.com. It's also the virtual event, July 14, 7 p.m. It's a Friday. There's also a site, uh, ICommitToPray.com, which I think is awesome because people can go there. They can see instantaneous needs for prayer. They can commit to pray for a Mm. specific person, a specific situation, because, you know, that's what they're going to want more than anything is prayer. So ICommitToPray.com, Voice of the Martyrs. Brother, thank you. Lord willing, we'll do this again in the near future. I look forward to it. Thanks, you guys, for having me. Thanks, Todd. God bless you. Yep. All right, guys, uh, we have um, an opportunity here to talk about some headlines when we come back. We've got the second segment in the podcast. We're going to obviously switch gears. This is a great uh, perspective check. Whenever you go around to talk about believers, our family, brothers and sisters who are persecuted and they're forgiving their enemies or someone that killed a family member or they're being persecuted now, it really gives us a, a gut check, heart check. We come back, headlines and talk about the church and culture and government. More on Stand Up For The Truth in just a minute. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpForTheTruth.com. So, survey came out, 62% of Americans believe the case against Donald Trump is politically motivated. And I don't know what you think, about that amount, 62% of Americans. That means, and if you take an average of Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, Mayor, what do you think about that number? 62% believe these cases are politically motivated. Hello? Yeah, yeah no what kidding. Do what do you think, I, Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's hard because whenever there's a survey and a number given, <laughs> there's so much information you don't get. Who did uh-huh. they talk to? And, you know, and I would like, I would like to believe this. I think that, I don't think that's out of the realm of reality. I think that people are not, as stupid as the media paints them out to be. St- my, when I look at that, I think only 62. Because that's a majority. That's a majority. But I'm thinking, okay, right. only 62. What media are the others watching yeah. or listening to? So but down at the, the bottom barrel here, 28% of Democrats uh, believe um, that this is politically motivated. Mm. So that's not a high number. Only 28% of Democrats. So you know what they believe. Yeah. Trump is guilty, orange man bad, whatever. He did everything they say he, they're accusing is of. Uh, he's guilty. Guilty before proven innocent. 
Um, but the key number, by the way, 91% of Republicans say, yeah, it's politically motivated. But the key number is independent voters. This is what you better keep an eye on because, as I've said over and over, 97.529% of Democrats will go to the polls every election. They will vote who for whoever has yep. a D behind their name. It doesn't matter if they're corrupt. doesn't matter what happens to Biden, how low his poll numbers are. Whoever is the candidate mm-hmm. with a D, they will vote. 95, it's not a scientific poll. Yeah. 90, did I say 97.529? All right, so <laughs> independents who think the case against Trump politically motivated – 65% of independents. Now, that's interesting. That is more than just half. That is a majority. So look for the independents, how, where they fall on right. some of these polls. By the way, if we're talking biblical worldview, we're talking uh, policies and procedures and party platforms, to this day, Mayor, I, I don't understand how someone can be independent. Like sometimes I'll sway this way, sometimes I'll sway that way. It's like they are. There's such a contrast it mm-hmm. seems between the party platforms. But well, it's all about the title. I'm an independent. But when it, when yeah. push comes to shove, one foot in front of the other, what does that mean? Yeah, they, I, right. They and vote I, for the pocketbook. Right? I don't know what it means. Taxes I really never did. I never did. All right, another headline. We're not even going to get into this one, but just the headline is irritating enough. Testimony before the House Ways and Means Committee reveals. Attempts to charge Hunter Biden in 2022 were denied. They were denied. Attempts. Try, they tried to charge Hunter Biden for corruption uh, last year. So let's go to this next story, which is very important. Radical leftist Marxist uh, president of American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingarten. She has now been appointed to the federal government. What is what is the new position? Monday, Department of Homeland Security School Safety Advisory Council. She is now tasked with making recommendations on emergency management, preparedness measures, and safety and security in schools. Why does this matter? Well, you know the leftist progressive teachers unions. You know where they fall on the mm-hmm. worldview scale. Mm-hmm. Well, the AFT is the nation's second largest teachers union. I mean, the NEA is the same national education, the, the same worldview. But they, the AFT, Randy Weingarten, pushed the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, to delay opening schools during COVID. They pushed the CDC to delay, in other words, keep school, you know, parents, as teachers, you're getting paid, students, kids stay home. Um, after most other developed nations had already returned children to the classrooms, America was a little ways behind them. And, um, Americans for Public Trust revealed in these emails they've obtained. So again, in the fall of 2020, Weingarten denounced calls to reopen schools and called them parents and people that wanted kids to get back their education, get back in school, reckless, callous, and cruel. There is your American Federation of Teachers president. There Mm -hmm. is your new Department of Homeland Security School Safety Advisory Council position. Mary, your thoughts on that? Yeah, we need a lot more uh, bureaucracy uh, for our kids and in our schools. That's That's... The lines are just becoming blurred. You know, I think of the song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Well, you know, that, that's interesting you say the Tears for Fears. Wow, yeah. that just came to me. Um, but 
the foxes are guarding the hen house yeah. in America. Yeah, and I think I picked up on that when the kids were were not in school. They were virtually learning. Their, their their scores were falling. There were a lot of personal and emotional issues with these kids. They couldn't meet with other kids. Isolation. Yeah, isolation. All these issues. Right, and indoctrination obviously follows that. But yeah. I remember thinking these kids are still wearing masks. What it was a year, a year and a half later, I remember thinking, who is running this show? And it, there's no good news here. There's no positive outcome here. No. Uh, and with you know, we still won't know. And for several years, when these uh, children get older, what exactly effect this has. On them, but uh, the AFT, the NEA, yeah. all the yep. same. They're, cor- they're corrupt. Yeah. They're political entities. They are not. She's. Yeah. It's amazing. So one more quick headline, and then Mayor's got. She's got a great story about AI and an update. Um, there was a college professor in Texas. He was accused of. Um, well, actually, let me just say this. He said in class that a person's sex is determined by their chromosomes. Okay. That's what he said, a college professor. Um, Texas College now, St. Philip's College, it's part of the Alamo College's district, has been accused of firing him. He was a biology professor, so you would think he could talk about biology and science and chromosomes. You would think. But here's what some um, woke um, students that want their safe spaces, here's what they did when he brought that up. A person's sex is determined by their chromosomes. They took issue with his teaching and they walked out of class. All he did was say the sex of a human being is determined by their chromosomes. He's a biology teacher at a college. So Johnson Varkey, this was earlier this year, and he's been at the college for 20 years. So now the case is being brought up by First Liberty Institute. It's a law firm based in Plano, Texas, that often handles religious freedom issues. And they sent a complaint letter to the college. And um, they said Varkey was fired after students walked out of his class when he spoke about how human sex was determined by chromosomes as opposed to a chosen gender identity. Mm. Mayor, this Mm. this is amazing. We're being punished not only for free speech, but punished for truth. Now, this is a biology teacher yeah. at yeah. a college. People are losing their minds. And I <laughs> and I think, okay, well, let's just talk about Romans 1 for a second. God gives them over to a depraved mind. That actually means a mind that is no longer fit for what it's meant to be fit for. That's why people are saying and doing such things that we don't understand. Can't they think this through? No. No, because There's we're seeing bl- this. a veil. Yes, these blinders depraved on. Depraved minds. This deception. And we're watching yep, that. We're watching it. All right, what do you have on AI? All right, this is interesting because um, people who are involved in the early days of AI are sounding alarm bells. We've been following this for about a month or so. Alarm bells about AI and, um, you know, once it... The Trojan horse is, is open and the cat is out of the bag and every other cliche you can think of. <laughs> once it gets to a certain point, when does it become dangerous? Well, yeah. Europe... Now, you need to understand that Europe is uh, 450 million consumers, and it, it leads the way in a lot of regulatory things around the world. As Europe goes, so goes the rest of the world. That's mm-hmm. just the way it is. That's the way it's been for a long time. Well, here's how Europe is leading the world in the push to regulate AI. Now, when you listen to this, you take it with a grain of salt because, well, you'll find out. Okay, the meteoric, this is by Kelvin Chan. The meteoric rise of artificial intelligence is raising thorny questions about exactly who owns the output of AI tools. And as AI-generated music and art crosses more into the mainstream, pressure is growing to find the answers. Authorities worldwide are racing to rein in artificial intelligence, including the European Union, where groundbreaking legislation is set to pass a key hurdle on Wednesday. Uh, Lond- uh, 
Lawmakers in Europe signed off Wednesday on the world's first set of comprehensive rules for AI, clearing a key hurdle as authorities across the globe race to mm. rein in AI. So um, they've been spending the last year uh, trying to draw up guardrails for AI, <laughs> and they feel that it's more urgent because these uh, chatbots are just you know emerging like crazy. But here's a look at the EU's Artificial Intelligence Act, and I'll just go through some of the highlights mm-hmm, here. Sure. How do the rules work? Okay, the, this measure will govern any product or service that uses an AI intelligence system. It will classify AI systems according to four levels of risk, minimal to unacceptable. So riskier would be um, tech targeted to children. That will face tougher requirements. Um, it will be up to the EU's 27 member states to enforce these rules. Uh, companies could withdraw their apps based on these rules. Violators could draw fines of 30 million euros or 6% of the company's annual rev, uh, revenue, so it could amount to billions of dollars. Uh, it's to guard against any AI threats to health and safety, protect fundamental rights and values. Some no-nos would be social scoring systems um, and safety and protect fundamental, uh, oh, I'm sorry, social scoring systems that judge people based on their behavior. Hmm. It's also forbidden that AI would exploit vulnerable people, including uh, children using subliminal uh, manipulation that can harm them, interactive talking toys, uh, predictive policing, like who will commit, you know, forecasting who will commit crimes and will be out. Minority report. Yes, minority report. Um, also, this is interesting. Um, they brief, beefed up the original proposal to widen the band on real-time remote facial recognition and biometric ID in public. Hmm. Now, that's interesting because we sort of expect that in the Antichrist world. Um and also to let people know if they're interacting with a machine because of chatbots. Is this a real person? Is this a machine? Um, so Brussels is trying to be a trendsetter with these regulations. And I thought that's very, very interesting because I think anything's going to go in the beast system. That's my thinking. Mm. Well, here is, here's why it's sketchy. Uh, Prophecy Newswatch released an article about the eight signs of control, uh, eight signs that control agenda of the globalists is rapidly moving forward. And number one, so now we just talked about AI. We're kind of moving to a different realm here, uh, and you're going to see just how much that AI may not control everything. Number one, starting in September, the EU will mandate that all member states in the EU um, offer a digital identity wallet to their citizens and businesses. Now, it says offer. It doesn't uh-huh. say mandate. Yes. It's go- Good it's first, it's going to be offered. But this <laughs> is this fall. The EU will mandate digital identity, which will go into effect in September. Now, here it says mandate. <laughs> first, it's offer. Now, it's mandate. Uh-huh. So, which is it, Wait EU? Yeah. And ensure all member states offer this to citizens and businesses. According to the European Commission, 80% of citizens should be able if they want to, right, to use a digital ID solution. Um, and then number two, a system of digital fingerprints for Americans has suddenly become Obama's biggest issue. I'll bet it has. Former President Obama suggested in a new interview the development of digital fingerprints to combat misinformation and distinguish between true and misleading news for consumers. And they're saying that a lot of misinformation, disinformation, and deep fakes have been targeting Obama. Yeah, speaking of misinformation, I heard <laughs> I, I saw a headline with Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, this morning saying, hey, the problem with uh, you know so many people uh, believing uh, th- these things that are not true is, and he, and he goes on, I'm thinking, okay, talk about s- things that are not true. He, anyway, 
Go ahead. Well, the UN is is uh, proposing yeah. a global system of digital ID <laughs> linked to our bank accounts, so they can they can regulate AI and chatbots and stuff all they want. Mm-hmm. They can say that they're helping you and protecting you and protecting your children. But now here we find that between the UN and the WHO and Barack Obama, who we know is wants to he's one of those who wants to rule the world. Everybody <laughs> wants yes to rule the world. You know, so there are so many layers again of bureaucracy and control and manipulation. Um, the EU can pass all this that they want, but you know when we have that world leader and his false prophet, who knows who that is? But um, it's going to be a whole different ball game. So keep mm-hmm. an eye on the AI, and but but also in the back of your mind, understand that the beast system is moving forward on planet Earth. Absolutely, thanks, Mayor. Um, man, um, I mean, I was opened up dramatically in what I was, was originally thinking about the progress of this when I heard churches were starting to. Use it a little bit in that one. Where was it? Uh, in, I think it was in Europe, UK. The UK, a church, they had a an, an avatar, mm-hmm. an AI actually wrote and preached the sermon. Germany, yeah. Was it Germany? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that stuff. Four people, two guys and two gals were avatars, and they were preaching the Sunday sermon. That's, that's concerning. And the AI Bible that Harari wants, uh, you know, uh, what happens when they get to who created all things? Yeah. Well, uh, they're going to change yeah, all that. Absolutely. Okay, we have 10 minutes left. And we wanted to talk about this very fascinating story about worship music. Um, some might call it worshiptainment, but you, you know what that phrase means. That means you seeker sensitive. You're trying to entertain people with the music, with the lights and the show to get people in your church. And then what are you going to do once they're in the church? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so ne- this is the headline. These are in the news bites that Mary sends out. Nearly all top 25 worship songs are tied to five megachurches in the past decade. So just about every worship song. By the way, let's stop right here. Top 25 music charts. So worship, they get awarded, and they make this top 25. Some make the top 10, whatever, and they get rewarded for that. I just don't think that's a good idea. Um, Show me the BCV, book, chapter, and verse on that. Right. On getting rewarded for writing a worship song and being being popular and making money off and of it. And exporting it to every other. Right. Okay, so about almost every worship song that hit the top 25 from 2010 to 2020 were co-written or popularized by one of five megachurches, according to a recent study. Almost 100% of the – these are the songs that – most of you, not all of you, most of you have sung or are singing on Sunday mornings. We're talking about Bethel, Hillsong, Elevation, Passion, and North Point Community Church. So you want to continue, Mayor, and just talk about this? Yeah. Uh, research, WLR research reveals that from 2010 to 2020, only 38 worship songs appeared on the Christian Copyright Licensing International and Praise Charts Top 25 lists. What? The CCLI list researchers said are seen as the billboard charts of church music. No, I hate that expression. <sighs> and I use, yeah. I don't use hate often. I hate that billboard charts of church music. Well, and we find, too, when we talk about Hillsong, or if we're going to talk about Hillsong, the whole idea was to export what they do to other churches. And this is just more of that. We we want, I mean, there's obviously ego involved here, but we would like to hear every church sing what we sing. Do you know what ego means? Stands for edging God out. Yeah. Ego. <laughs> Isn't that good? Yeah, that is good. You can quote me on that. I will. Edging I will. God out. Um, so... Uh, we've seen a lot of problems at the top uh, with Hillsong and 
um, mm-hmm. passion, you know, uh, Bethel, and there's so many theological concerns, and yet many, I'll say, you can correct me, Mayor, many churches or worship leaders aren't doing their due diligence to sift through these lyrics before they present them to the congregations on Sunday morning. Your right, thoughts right. on that? And I, and I hate to think this, and not all worship leaders are like this. I know right, that right. for an absolute fact. But I hate to think that they're sitting down and looking into what the top ones are and saying, oh, we have to do this, oh, we have because to do this. Because it's popular. Because it's popular. People, people will like the song. Maybe they heard it on the radio or yeah. whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Well, hopefully the so. past senior pastors are involved in that whole worship thing, and it's not just given to one or two people, but that the senior pastor has something to say about the worship that is that is being presented to the people that they are singing, that is getting their hearts prepared for, for yes. the teaching for the day. There's the so much more to worship than lights and big drums. Yep. Uh, all right. Um, okay, there's two stories here. One of them is continuing. Let me just do this one briefly, Mayor. The New Kingdom documentary mm-hmm. that investigates Hillsong. What can churches learn from the fallout at Hillsong? Well, there's an Australian journalist, Mark Fennell. Um, he watched The Kingdom Twice. It's a, a documentary, and it investigates the successful but scandal-plagued megachurch, uh, Hillsong, and stepping back into the world of Pentecostalism that he left behind and asking what happens as the Hillsong kingdom crumbles. Some people s- lose faith. If, if your pyramid mm-hmm. is going down from the top down, I say that you know, megachurch or in this case, Hillsong, the organization. Some people lose faith that there's corruption at the top or whatever. But it interviews in this documentary people um, from various standpoints, and they do look for the good and the not-so-good in Pentecostalism. Now, they look at the American influence just very briefly. Um, Brian Houston came to the U.S. in 1989, and that proved to be a turning point for his church as he bought into the health, wealth, and success doctrines that had gripped American churches for a decade before that. Um, They talk about the frenetic pace, the insatiable growth of Pentecostalism that has left far too many casualties behind. They talk about unholy expectations and about, I want to just mention what the Apostle Paul wrote uh, um, regarding manipulative offerings. Um... Mm -hmm. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Key words that we often skim over. What does that mean, under compulsion? Being manipulated into giving money. For God loves a cheerful giver. Um, The Greek word translated as compulsion means to bend the arm. So, and then he just, I'm just going to, just one quote here, and you can either comment on this, Mayor, because it's, we could do a lot longer of a segment on yeah. this, but he says, I feel for many good people in Pentecostal churches who have succumbed to the coercion and given money to the point where they are struggling financially because they've given more than they can afford. In other words, hey, by faith, if you have faith, give. God will bless it. God will return to you. You know, And God doesn't always return to you financially. It might be health. It might be relationships. It might be a closer walk with him. It might be something else in your life. It might he, be trials and tribulation to make you more like Jesus. You yes. may get nothing in return, but that's not yes. why you do it. Yes. So it's a test of the heart. Yeah. Well, this is interesting because The Secrets of Hillsong is the one that's on Hulu, and that's the four. Okay. Did you watch part. that one? I did watch okay. it. I could not turn away. It was very well done. You talked about this a week ago? Yeah, or June 1st. Yeah. yeah, and you can get the podcast from June 1st. Okay. I do cover that for about 20 minutes. It was very well done. 
um, I would encourage people. But there's questions, good questions brought up here by yes. Mark Fennell. Yes. Um, and he says, time doesn't allow me to detail every concern uh, here he says, but a few other considerations are, uh, number one, sexual misconduct is sometimes common and v- invariably covered up. Yes. Um, when sin is discovered, pact- pastors take the role of victim and victim shaming, blaming people. Number two, the power trap. Mm. Uh, he says, uh, gaining power and respectability have not done us any favors. We don't do well when we're in charge. Well, and people, I don't think, we're supposed to esteem one another as greater than ourselves. So this whole positioning of people esteeming someone to that point where they fall is very, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, lack of accountability, honesty, Hello. transparency, good governance. Yes. A celebrity pastor is beyond questioning or oh, critique. Boy. Entertaining rather than making disciples. Uh, and then in Pentecostalism, a lot of emotionalism that has to keep getting ramped up. They're not getting fed God's word, mostly. Mm-hmm. Not right. across the board. Right, but right, right. Um, reserve seating for VIPs. Also, uh, Houston's had levels of giving. If you gave a certain amount, you could have lunch with, with Brian Houston and yeah. stuff like that. Oh, Lord. Toxic positivity. Um, yeah. Kind of like a meet, Trouble. And, meet and greet with, with, uh, the church leaders. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. They, oh, yeah. they pay extra money to be, it, yeah. you know, it's cringeworthy. It is, it is cringeworthy. Mary, it is so worldly, so it incredibly is. worldly. Yeah. And we, if the world can get the world by going to church, yeah. what do they need to go to church for? They already have the world. People are so disconnected. And one of the things in the Secrets of Hillsong was that people were lining up around the block for these services in New York, Hillsong, New York. They're so disconnected. They found a sense of community, and they were putting their trust in that mm. because they weren't meeting Jesus there. They were meeting other people there, which is fine. Of course you want that. Yeah. But you got to meet Jesus primarily. And so when it fell apart, they left, and now they're let down again by people yeah. when they should have been looking to Jesus. Yes. Yeah, leaders. You know, leaders need to be held accountable. Not all are. But uh, just, you know, understand if, you're, if your pastor or a ministry leader falls, you know, they're human. I'm not saying, you know, give them grace because if they sin, if they're corrupt, if they're leading an organization and they're getting away with all this stuff for years and all of a sudden something, you know, they have an affair and then all of a sudden all this other stuff mm-hmm. comes to light, then they're investigated and they find out more garbage. Um, don't say shame on me necessarily just because you, you want to give people the benefit of the doubt. You don't think leaders, especially of, of ministries or, you know, Christian leaders would act a certain way, but this is the world we live in now. It's all about popularity and celebrity, which should have nothing to, never had anything to do in the New Testament. Nope. And the Gospels, in the Bible, popularity and celebrity. Yeah. Uh, But that makes the headlines. That gets you on Oprah or The View or whatever. What would Paul say about that? What would Paul say? I think Paul would answer a question on abortion or homosexuality, according to the Bible, on those shows. But these other pastors won't. Mm -hmm. But we won't go into that. We've got a loaded week of guests next week, some heavy hitters. Starting with Monday, Scott Shera has an update on his case of, of his murdered daughter, Grace, the hospital system. Uh, he's got an update on the lawsuit and more information. Uh, man, he's been talking about talking to all kinds of great John, Also, John Haller, Prophecy Update Time, Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, you'll hear a replay of Usama Dakdok. And Thursday, another power player, Andy Woods. Oh, yeah. Dr. Andy Woods. I, I love, he's one of my, probably my top Ten, maybe even top five Bible teachers. Yeah. In anyway, just say that. And then Gary Kaw yeah, wraps up next week, next okay. Friday. So hello, yeah. and we, Mary and I, will do our best to be prepared and bring you the uh, A game. Yeah, the, the A game from these men who have so much wisdom <laughs> right. and and uh, experience and knowledge to share. 
Um, but any guy, thank you guys. Uh, we really appreciate your time, and uh, we just thank you for your prayers. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. 